Hi! How are you? I'm okay. I'm very excited for this um, week's episode. Um, same. Because we're just... It, it's just a beautiful mosh posh of things. So... Um, basically, just to explain, um, we will be talking about vampire folklore from two distinct continents. Um, we will share the reason why, of course. Oh, I've got a little bit of extra continents, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> there's not much. That's valid. But, um, we have not necessarily revealed to each other what we're going to tell one another. So, mm-hmm. this is going to be... At least a treat on YouTube. If Wolfie wants to chime in too, that's going to be amazing for, yeah. for you know, the audio version of this. Um, yeah. But but yeah, we hope you're having a bomb ass time during this scary, amazing haunted season um, because we are. <laughs> yeah, um, it is happy Halloween season. Happy, you can see I got my PSL makeup today. It's all orange toned. Oh, wait, I'm in purple. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of haunted. Yeah, as you established a couple episodes ago, we're, we're inherently goth. So we thought we would go with goth this month. Except we actually, dare I reveal, hate the book that we chose so far. The ultimate yeah. gothic anthology. We are having a hard time with it. But um, that's for another episode. That's for next week. So maybe we're just like pseudo goth. I'm okay with that. Oh, no, no, no. We're goth. We just know what's good and what's not. That's really what it is. We're honest. But in the wake of us reading an interview with the vampire, we were like, where did this even come from? Why is this like the ultimate goth novel? Why did this, why do vampires exist in this way in our understanding, in our media, in our literature? So, um, not to give all the credit to the white man, uh, we decided to explore separately other continents and culture, like prehistoric cultures or to see what they believed, um, about bloodsuckers, so to speak. So Claudia, um, let's just catch up the folks about what do you think of when you think of vampire in 2023? Oftentimes I will think about Dracula but because it is such a funny, funny movie, I now think about Twilight. <laughs> and I hate to admit it, but I think it's also because my Instagram, probably because I talk about it. And you know how, you know, right. You know how the algorithm listens. And I just keep getting so many parodies of it where it's like, Bella, where the hell you been, Loka? And <laughs> every time but i if we're thinking about like traits i will often uh think about um you know blood sucking of um and uh super duper super speed um but Mm. i also again because of twilight think about sparkly skin (laughs) That shine like diamonds. I'm pretty sure that's what Rihanna was actually singing shine about. Shine like an Edward. Ew. <laughs> um, I also think about the the Catholic part. So the aver- <laughs> aversion 
aversion oh. to holy water, the yes. cross. Oh, God. and oh, garlic, obviously. Garlic, the power of Christ compels you. I also Thanks for bring up garlic. We're actually going to come back to that. I'm sure oh, same, to- same with mine. Yeah. Don't worry, girl. Don't worry. Um, painful or fatal re- responses to sunlight, unless uh-huh. you're Edward Cullen, and then you you twinkle. Oh, 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 and then I also think about The Sims. Oh my God, what about The Sims? So, um, they have Vlad and Bella Goth in there. Um, I think Bella Goth is a vampire. And when they, <laughs> so there was this one video where Vlad, um, and my, one of the, uh, content creators that I love, she calls him Vladdy daddy. Um, <laughs> so it's a different content creator. She goes, so I absolutely forgot that this man was a vampire and I had them get married right before sunset. So he died. <laughs> Wait, I saw that TikTok. The tears that came from my oh my Man. god. When I saw that, I was deceased. Um, I also think of having to be invited in and like no uh-huh. reflection. And I also for some reason always think of Victorian era or like 18th century garb. Yeah. Um, you know, vampires we we get in our like um, mainstream are always they were frozen in time hundreds of years ago and that's why I think like in Twilight you know they try to adapt but I I also think about the blah 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 like like that kind of that it's like that they're speaking and it's just like I've understood blah blah interesting you bring up the um the um accent of stereotypes Slavic nations Slavic stereotypes for that might be where our journey be- takes us first oh my god and then oh there was one more thing that I wanted to mention uh what we do in the shadows oh I was also gonna mention that excellent intermittently excellent. yeah <laughs> uh, for the reason that the characters stuck in their era very much so all of the vampires are well, the blood-sucking vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the most important one to me, most importantly, is our Ottoman era vampire in that show. Um, because oh, in the show, it's mm-hmm. gonna in the show, it's gonna it's going to be very rooted in like the history of the Middle East and um, the Slavic nations before they were the countries we know they, them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then the other one who's British, Laszlo. So Nandor is the Persian one. Laszlo represents that like 17th, 18th century vampire who's like super like post-Renaissance like Age of Enlightenment moving into industrialism like cute, cute, cute. loves love, Da Vinci love, love. Type, type of vampire. <laughs> love, love, love. But like I think we're all familiar with these like vampire tropes, right? Oh yeah, I think so. Apart from Twilight's little <laughs> So a lot of them did come from the book that we're reading, Anne Rice's um, novel, Interview with the Vampire, mm. uh, and then the movie starring, somehow, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. And um, isn't, da- not Antonio Dakota. Antonio Banderas. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know Antonio Banderas was in it. Now I want to see it more, because so, honestly, uh... young Antonio was a hottie. Hotty yaddy yaddy. In what we do in the shadows, one of the characters who's a familiar 
it, he wants to be a vampire because of Antonio's character in it. And he's he's like, he's the only Latino representation of vampires in media. Dude, I'm telling you, you have to watch this show. I know, I know. But who is who played the little girl? Who plays my namesake in the what movie? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's Kirsten Dunst. It's Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. I was like, it was a little blonde. That's why I went to Dakota Fanning. But Dakota Fanning, I don't think was thought of yet. So no, I don't think she was yet born. Anyway. Know. Tell me, tell me about the origins. Well, we're going to start in Transylvania. Ooh. No surprise. That's where, that's where we're going to start. So Transylvania today is located in Romania, um, which is in like the Balkan southeastern area of central South Europe. Um, yeah. So it's bordering, interestingly, the Middle East kind of, and like it's part of those Slavic nations where mm-hmm. um, we're going to, they they've been under Ottoman they had been under Ottoman control a long time ago for a while, and also true, true. like other lots the site of a lot of war and um, religious overhaul. So how did we get this concept of vampire? Well, it comes from this this area, Bulgaria, thousand years ago. Um, the legend from of Victor vampires. Crumb? Is, <laughs> yes, crazy. from from freaking Durmstrang it comes, which is I mean when I was thinking about this I was like what a what a not like what a lame way not to use vampire lore like you give us grindelwald and he wasn't even bulgarian he was scandinavian or something but anyway my favorite part is comes from this area bulgaria no it's time for a rhyme (laughs) when in doubt rhyme it out so uh a thousand years ago we're gonna go to bulgaria which is adjacent to romania it's in this remember there were no countries back then mm-hmm. so no borders it's dark the night is full of terrors there's Ooh. war there's pillage and there's a lot of superstition mm-hmm. so these whispers amongst a lot of stevie the, wonder the early slavic tribes were about non-corporeal so no physical body beings mm-hmm. mm-hmm. kind of like what we think of as ghosts and ghosts exactly vampires wrought havoc they were a spreader of diseases in a village oh. like a pest um, the vampire did not create other vampires at this time with its bite, um, and it didn't consume any blood. There was no, like, sparkly, sexy appeal. It was like a ghost-like being that operated just like New York City rats. It was just a pest. Um, and it brought nastiness. So, however, alternatively, in some superstitions, Slavic concepts of early vampires were able to appear as butterflies. Um, and this kind of echoes an old belief that butterflies represent, like, an escaping soul. So we're, we get it. Like, we're seeing kind of, like, some trends, right? Wait, you know what else that reminds me of? Uh-oh. In Game of, I think it was Game of Thrones. The, wasn't it, like, the butterflies, at least in the books, that, like, they're, the, wherever um, Grey Worm is from, like, they had, like, a plague that was brought on or carried by, like, butterflies or something? I vaguely remember this. Because I remember, okay, I remember the meme from Pokemon. The Summer Isles. It was like a meme from Pokemon where, the like, the guy, the butterfly, and then it was just like Grey Worm <laughs> going back home and dying <laughs> after living through all that trauma. Time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Uh, I, I have the meme, but I'm not yet finding Hold the. On. I will find it. Please tell me more. I will find it and send. So 
um, in southern Russia. So that at this point, this is about like north of the Balkan area. Yeah. Um, southern Russia, people who talked to themselves were believed to be at risk of becoming these kind of ghoulish vampiric creatures. Now that whole area, all those Slavic tribes, um, we'll say they were familiar with each other. Um, ultimately, they would all kind of become after the Ottoman Empire, they become united under kind of like Russian explorers and then communism. But that's, a, that's not for today. No. So, um, just after the Renaissance, so that's like the 14, 15, 1600s, um, the concept of vampire finally enters Western European superstition and lore. Um, and that's because of kind of like the this touchdown between cultures and exchange of ideas in mer- merchant cities and religious belief exchanges, which we're gonna talk about in a second. So war, war spreads beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the German speaking peoples of the Holy Roman Empire, and we've talked about the end of the Roman Empire a couple of times already here. Uh, um, they kind God, of took control men. of, uh, we totally are. We, <laughs> they, they took control of the um, Slavic ethnic groups and they mm. kind of forced Christianity onto them. So now you're blending these old superstitions with now local legends. And mm. soldiers would carry these ideas from city to city. So from Vienna to Berlin to Paris to London, and ultimately where you're going to take us later, Puritans to the Americas and beyond. Right? <laughs> so the word vampire first appeared in the English language only in 1732. Why vampire? <laughs> well, Etymology aside, um, it kind of took on a new like image altogether. Um, instead of being a ghost, it now had a bodily form. Mm-hmm. Um, blood drinking made it seem more scientifically believable. Like, oh, it's it's a post dead thing that has to sustain its life with with blood. You know, we're scientific. This was like right after or during the Renaissance, so they were trying to oh. make sense mm-hmm. of the world around them. Yeah, they didn't have r- true science, but they were trying to make science. Like, you know, like blood, like leeches and bloodletting was science. And So because you said the 1700s, I almost um, expected it to be ectoplasm, mostly because, like, there were a lot of, like, awakenings and such happening. Or um, not awakenings. What is it? Uh, spirit spiritualism that mm-hmm. that was occurring a lot and so there were a lot of seances happening and they would utilize ectoplasm to like display like a possession or something like that when it was like some bullshit but <laughs> this was all around that same period of time where blood human blood was believed to have medicinal qualities and it was like consumed by people like outside of vampire groups or accusations um today actually this is called medical cannibalism which i thought was terrible um wait wait, wait. the so, act of drinking one's blood is called medical cannibalism, cannibalism? yep so there's there's a medical yes. basis within it yeah the idea was it has healing qualities so if you drink blood or you do bloodletting like you are healing they also believed the plague was spread through miasma, just like specks in the air. So like they didn't know jack squat. Mm, that's true. That's fair. That's fair. So blood was believed to be the vessel of the human soul in this period of time. So therefore imbibing the blood means you're going to take in new life. Um, they were prescribing blood for like epilepsy to blindness in, this, in the 1700s. So um, 
Um, this is where we kind of get that like Victorian, really smart anatomy and physiology vampire idea from because doctors were literally prescribing blood and vampires, as we know them, drank blood to stay alive. And they like knew so much about um, restoring life and maintaining life for hundreds of years. So when you say smart, do you mean like, do you mean like the intelligent vampire or like the, I, the overall like idea? the intelligent vampire so like that that steampunk vampire mm, lab okay. or like who understands so laszlo and what we do in the shadows is this the stereotype he's he always doing stupid experiments but they're rooted in bs science from like his his century but he's constantly trying to do things and make all these mistakes mm. one thing that we didn't mention in the traits is immortality and so i feel oh, yes. like that also kind of ties in with the intelligence and like the level of smart they are yeah wow that sounded dumb their intelligence level Hello? because they literally i need to finish my slice of pizza i'm doing great as i always am as i always am but like i feel like that associates with that because you know what else are you going to do with your immortality besides like feast so as so many trends it happens with so many trends they go out of fashion and then they become evil or satanic and that's kind of i think how this flipped into the power of Christ compels you. Now, how do we get all of this and then like Dracula? Like, where did the idea of Dracula come from? So, um, these this Eurocentric like vampire idea that we have is hundred percent based on Bram Stoker's Dracula, but he historically has been referencing um, Vlad the Impaler, who in Romanian was called Vlad Cepesh which literally in ancient Romanian means Vlad the Impaler. Um, and impaling was his favorite method of execution. So what is an impaler and a vampire? What do they have in common? So I'm just going to summarize Vlad. So we're going back to Transylvania now. So Bulgaria and Romania Woo! are in, close, in proximity. So we're going back to like this old Slavic lore. This is before Christianity hit. This is just princes taking over and knocking each other out and trying to you know con conquer different lands in these Slavic um, regions. So Transylvania, 15th century. So Vlad III is considered to be one of the most important rulers in this area where we find modern-day Romania. Um, his father, who was also Vlad, added this nickname Dracul to his name. And this was because he was a member of the Order of the Dragon. So Dracul and Dragon, you could see the Latin root. Romanian is a Romance language, believe it or not. It's hard to tell sometimes. But that's a good example of um, Draco. Dracul, dragon. Oh, Draco Malfoy. But also, that yeah. doesn't surprise me about Romanian because um, they have very similar sounds to Romance languages. It's mm -hmm. Latin and Slavic languages. That's hot. Um, so Vlad Tepes, uh, sorry, Impaler, then carried over Dracula, son of the dragon, into his princehood titles, of which he had many because he was the third and he ruled over a bunch of areas. So over his... Um, three intermittent princehoods, he uh, was responsible for the murder of more than 80,000 people, and most of those were through through the back. He participated in many, many wars with neighboring tribes, so he went off on the Ottomans, the Hungarians, he survived captivity multiple times to come back from the dead, so to speak, right? So he was this very, very popular wild character, but like, he wasn't a vampire, he was a real guy, and we have portraits of him, which I will put in the video version of this. So after his death, um, his, uh, his conquests and his thousands and thousands of executions became the stuff of medieval legends, right? Because this was only the 15th century, this is the 1400s. 
Um, so as the lore of Slavic superstition spread, lore of Vlad the Impaler spread, um, where every culture that was retelling his story through this game of historical telephone would just spectacularize his biography more and more and more until um, we get this woman to thank in the 19th century. Her name is Emily Girard. She famously published this book of Transylvanian folklore. You know, like when white people go to places that have not yet like been fully westernized, so to speak, and they're like, oh, look at these jolly folk. And they want to like take journal notes on all the things they do. Right. You basically just said when white people eat, pray, love. That's basically <laughs> oh, nice. what you said. No, yeah, no, no. So when she... they eat, pray, love. She sounded like she was on an eat, pray, love journey. To find so Emily Gerard went on this eat, pray, love journey to 19th century Transylvania. Um, and she randomly wrote in her journal of uh, Transylvanian folklore that this word Nosferatu meant vampire in Romanian. So she was considered a travel blogger back in her day. Um, she like did all these and they're all published. Like we can actually read these if you want. So uh, she, this will make sense in one moment. Um, okay. So she went ahead and wrote Nosferatu in this travel journal. Um, we actually don't know if that word was used in the same way she described it, but today Romanians will understand it. But the concept of Nosferatu, so a vampire, as we know, is has been believed in firmly by Romanian peasants in particular um, since the dawn of their like legend, legends being told. Um, they believed in these two sorts of vampires, living and dead ones. This is now over time the specific Nosferatu type. Um, and they were the illegitimate offspring of two illegitimate persons. Um, uh, every person killed by a Nosferatu will ensure that somebody in your family will then die the next day, can be killed by firing a pistol shot into a coffin or driving a stake through the corpse, as well as um, garlic being able to uh, fill the mouth and terminate it. So these oh. are some things she wrote about that she claimed were kind of part of Transylvanian lore uh, for regarding this Nosferatu concept. So I thought that was interesting that she like kind of put her spin on this superstition. I think what we can definitely look at for um, like in Greek mythology, every myth is meant to explain a natural phenomenon that occurs, right? right? So the legend of a vampire could be used to explain um, lots of elements of death, especially during the Black Death and as it spread over Western Europe with this idea. And like these other gothic superstitions, like just how do we explain reanimated corp people who look dead still being alive or spreading of disease, right? Right. Similarly, so Romani people of this area as well have beliefs that vampires were invisible to most people, but could be seen by a twin brother and sister born on a Saturday who wore their clothes inside out. See, this is why I don't trust twins. I love that. Go on. So kind of messy, but I have one more legend from Croatia. So Croatia is also in the Slavic region. And this legend actually has become so like important to this town Kringa in Croatia that they have a whole like Disney World uh, affair in honor of it to attract tourism. I wonder tourism. how close it is to, to King's Landing. In Dubrovnik? That's a good question. I have no idea. Are you making a plan? I mean, I mean, I mean. <laughs> so this legend takes place now, centuries later, when Christianity has overtaken kind of the region. Um, so this is where we get like a, a legend of an actual person who became a vampire and the power of Christ was going to compel him. Got Yuri Grando, 
Um, he was a real dude. We have like records. He died of some random illness. And the legend goes, he would come at night to harass his town for 16 years. He assaulted his wife, like badly to perform her duties. And he would like harass his neighbors, invade them in their rooms. And then um, it was said that his widow described a corpse looking as though it were smiling and gasping for breath uh, as he would come to her. So Father Giorgio, of course, the priest saves the day. Um, he eventually comes face to face with Yuri's vampire corpse body. Hell holds the cross out and goes, behold, Jesus Christ, you vampire, stop tormenting us. So the bravest of villagers um, chased and tried to kill this vampire by piercing his heart with a stick. So again, we have that like... Um, mm -hmm. the driving stake. the stake. Driving the stake. Um, but it didn't didn't work out. He got away. I like the that you called him off. a brave um, villager. I would have called him stupid, but... <laughs> One night later, they expected him to come back. So now nine people went to the graveyard over his grave, getting ready, carrying lamps. Oh. They had a cross. They had hawthorn sticks again, despite it didn't work yesterday. Um, they it might work today. <laughs> it, might, it might work today. It Maybe might. the moon's in the right place. You never know. Lord willing, right? This is the this is the period. They dug up his coffin. They found a perfect corpse with a smile on its face. So they actually had to do some exorcism, exorcism prayers. And finally, one of the um, villagers got tight, and he was like, "Screw this!" Whipped out a saw and sawed off the head of the corpse. As soon as the uh, skin right. began to tear, the vampire let out a blood curdling scream, and blood flowed from the cut. Um, Apparently, this decapitation is what led to his <gasps> final death. And like I said, the people of this town, Kringa, love this legend and they love to tell tourists. So you can go to a bar themed after Yuri Grando in Croatia. So low-key, when you said Yuri Grando before, I was like, Yuriando Grande? Um, that's crazy. Yuriando Grande. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's crazy. <laughs> But, you know, the white man's never done eat, eating, praying, and loving, right? Nor is the white woman, for that matter. Never. So, where could they have taken all this lore that is now kind of tainted with Catholicism? Tainted lore. Whoa. <laughs> well, I have a God. mouthful of pizza in my mouth, bro. <laughs> oh, to answer where, your question, yeah, everywhere else. Go? Everywhere else. Take us on a, a ride? I thought where you were going to mention other places. That's, I mean, for as far as Europe goes, that's like, okay. that's it. It comes from the Slavic cultures, and it okay. came into the West, and then got Christian, Christ, Catholicized, and then that really brings us to you, because then what did the Catholics do with it? <laughs> they preached it. So, something to know about South America. Vampire lore apparently isn't that big. However. Fun fact, vampire bats are actually native to the continent of South America. And I don't know if you had these when you were growing up, um, but I know I did. There were like these little like pamphlets that I would get in the mail, probably like through like the Highlights magazine or some shit like that. Mm -hmm. And there were animals that had their own thing. And I had one about a vampire bat. So when I was looking, when I was reading through, uh, making my notes and stuff, I was like, oh my God, I knew all of this. <laughs> so anyway, since I already knew, I'm going to share. Um, but essentially the vampire bat was uh, discovered in 1810. That's when like the earliest kind of like entry of it was made. The 
Legend of the Vampire actually came before the bat. Uh, the bat's discovery, I should say. Um, and so very common for these vampire bats to feed on mammals and livestock. Um, just, just letting you know, things are going to get a little graphic. So the are, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there are two main types of vampire bats. One is a white winged uh, vampire bat. The other one is a hairy legged one. Uh, the white-winged one will climb alongside like an underside of a branch to feed on the toes of a bird. So like they're kind of like itty-bitty. And then um, the hairy-legged vampire bat will actually land on a bird, kind of like a chicken, and hide within its feathers to feed. So it's kind of like a flying tick, if you think about it like that. Um, and they have these razor sharp teeth. Um, and so they'll make like a small little cut and then they'll start licking the wound. So they're not exactly sucking. It's just like a slurp slurp. Um, yeah. And so they have an anticoagulant that's in their saliva, um, which keeps the blood flowing and they will often take about like a tablespoon of blood. And usually the animal that they're, that they're like leeching off of, um, is none the wiser, has no idea, um, until like maybe the next morning when they're like, what the fuck is happening back there? That's crazy. <laughs> so then. Like a pest. Oh, very much like a pest. Also to even go a little further back, um, Aztec mythology has these tales that describe and. Again, I apologize for my pronunciation. I believe it is Chiowate Tio, which is a skeletal face spirit um, of those who died during childbirth. And then they stole children and entered into sexual liaisons with the living, driving them mad. Right. Well, spicy. Spicy. Interesting. Indeed. Also lead into other uh, South American vampires. Um, so one of them is called the Asema. And the Asema is actually um, of Suriname. And the Asema was very much like um, two other types of lore. Uh, one from Haiti, which is Lugaru. And the other one is Sekuyan from Trinidad. And so all three of them, all three of these, um, are derived from the vampire witch of West Africa. The Asema takes the form of an old man or woman who is living in a normal community during the daylight hours. But at night... We have a different secret existence happening. And so at night, they have this ability to transform into a vampire. And it did so by taking off its skin and becoming a ball of blue light. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. Blue light? Blue light. A ball. A ball. A ball of blue light. And it flew in the air and entered houses in the village and it sucked the blood of its victims. Um, and if it liked the blood, it would continue taking it until the person died. 
very similar to what is happening in uh, Interview with the Vampire. That's all I'm going to say. Um, also, just as with the Lugaru, which is um, from, from Haiti, garlic was the best protection against the Asima. Asima, my bad. And this is because herbs might be taken to like turn blood bitter. And when I read that instantly, I was like, yo, that's why we, that's why we Latinos love garlic. Because we're protecting from the vampiros. Yeah. That's what I learned over the weekend, besides everything else. But that's what I learned. Oh, man. It's like, it's literally in my blood. It's just making my blood bitter. Um, and so to further uh, bring protection, they would also scatter rice or sesame seeds outside of the doors. Sorry, I heard okay. noise. And I was like, what is that? That's crazy. Um, and so the seeds would also be mixed with the nails of a ground owl. And <laughs> honestly, this logic made me cry. It was so funny. <laughs> it said, it is said that the Asema had to pick up the seeds before entering but because oh. of the nails, it would continually drop them. <laughs> and if it remained at this task until dawn, the sunlight would kill it. No. So it just sounds like <laughs> that the Asiva has like undiagnosed ADHD and is just hyper-focusing <laughs> on the task before getting to the real task. <laughs> he can't get through it because he's not thinking about tools. They, they can't get through it because I'm not thinking about tools. Yo, I laughed so hard when I read that note. I was like, this needs to get highlighted. This you, is going to be told. You better have some garlic for laughing at this demon. You're right. You're right. Thankfully, my windows are closed, though. Um, mm -hmm. That bitch ain't coming in. So <laughs> um, if someone was suspected to be in Asema, they would be put under surveillance. And their identity could be determined by watching them take off their skin, right? Cool. And then, but wait, there's more. So then the skin was then treated with salt or pepper so that it would shrink. And the vampire could not get back into the skin. It was like, you oh can't. my God, it shrunk. I can't. They threw it in the dryer. They basically, that's some mm. shit. That's rude. Um, there is another South American vampire, um, which is called the Az Azaman. Yeah, Azaman. And it is a type of a living vampire that is often described as a woman. And so she would walk around like a normal human doing her thing thing. And she was so indistinguishable between other humans that there was really no telling that she would actually become a bat who hunts for blood. Blah, blah, blah. Interesting. Indeed. Um, and so this creature also had an impact on uh, the European settlers. And there are a lot of similarities between the Az Azimen and the European vampires. Mm -hmm. um, even the concept of a vampire transforming into a bat. 
So this actually shocked me because I'm now going into the chupacabra. Yeah. Um, and I, okay. So I came across way too many resources, one would argue. Uh, <laughs> and so it's said to have originated in Puerto Rico, but there is one that stated Mexico. T. Um, and I think I actually have, oh, oh, so, 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 so this one gets a spicy. Okay. So there were sightings, um, that have been reported all over the world. Um, typically the chupacabra, uh, feeds mostly on goats and it's said to drink the blood of animals as well as the organs and leave the animal for dead, basically. But there are various um, descriptions of what the chupacabra's true form is, um, which usually um, implies that it's a, a shapeshifter. And hmm. so the scariest Another trait of vampires. This is true, shapeshifting. Um, the scariest version of the chupacabra comes from the mid 1970s. Um, and. I need you to, to picture this, okay? I need you to, to see a field, right? Full of dead animals. The blood is completely drained from them. But Hell. there is zero evidence of this. There is zero evidence of a slash wound, zero evidence of like, like a predator attack or anything. Um, ugh. Just Instead, porcelain carcasses? No, no. Instead, what you oh. see are just two small holes on the neck. Oh! That, you know, I mean, hmm. what, whatever could it be? And so, whatever. over the years, um, it, this story migrates from the island of Puerto Rico to American mainland um and this mysterious creature is glimpsed by eyewitnesses and one describes it as a five foot tall creature with glowing red eyes and bat-like wings standing on its Ooh. hind legs and its spikes on its back and it smelled of sulfur which a lot of times, at least talking about like ghostly things, uh, typically the smell of sulfur is associated with death or a demon. Yeah. Um, and so one of these eyewitnesses, um, it was in Texas. Okay. Um, her, this eyewitness describes this version of the chupacabra very dog-like and so the dna analysis revealed them to be canids and canids include dogs wolves foxes jackals you know coyotes um and they can interbreed which is how we usually get like wolf dogs or other hybrid types of animals interesting where this right. is going oh wait just um the so-called dead chupacabras, they often have mange, 
And so a lot of them have like hair that fall out and their skin begins to thicken and they develop. We need a rescue holes. center. I know for the chupacabras, the chupra, the chupacabra adoption center. Uh, <laughs> and so they also become very emaciated and even if it is a domestic dog, depending on like how they look, like they can look like a completely different animal, um, especially when mange is involved and it's in like its later forms sure. or later phases. And so um, this other eyewitness, her description in 1995 in Puerto Rico, okay? I, I don't feel like saying her name, but it's fine. Her and her mother, right? They see the monster in front of their house. And she describes this creature as not having an anus. Oh, specific. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how they're seeing it this close. Like, is it just a gaping hole? Is there nothing there? Is it kind of like a Barbie Ken situation? Like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. Mattel, chupacabra. <laughs> <laughs> and then it also has feathery spikes. Now, that's all interesting and whatever. This description also matches the description of something else. There was this movie um, that was released called, I think, Sill. Hold on, wait. Yeah, I think it was called Sill in 1995. And essentially, it's an alien movie and the alien fits the description to a T of what this woman is describing. Sick of people. Right. So it's not that, I mean, who knows? Maybe it does match. Shrug a doodle. Um, but that was suspicious. And some witnesses will say that the chupacabra walks on two legs. Others will say four. Um, some describe the animal to have like lizard-like skin while others mention fur. Um, others have backbones and sometimes they have sharp spines. Um, and also with the two-legged chupacabra, supposedly they, they kind of like hop around like kangaroo. Which honestly just makes it sound cute. I wouldn't mind a chupacabra, honestly. Oh, me too. We don't have goats here that are in danger. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a mangy rabid or like sickly dog that attacks wild stock like wild stock livestock yeah the only suspicious thing would be just the two holes that are there really because yeah i mean i i know obviously that dogs have like their canine teeth and like they're very fangy but like i feel like if a dog bites down you'd get both those punctures but then also the little teeth in the middle yeah you know unless they fell out i mean possible but so many of them without without their their little teeth between their canines oh that would be so silly looking because then they'll look they like this with their dentist <laughs> a dentist a dentist Son, be a ventist. You'll be a success. Okay, anyway. Um, and then, you know what? I'm not going to talk about the Portuguese one. Um, we will include that in the notes, though. Um, but 
it does inspire the series The Witcher. So that's cool. Oh, that is yeah. cool. Because I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to keep boring you with all my things. Um, but boring. Oh, stop it. Um, so it's, it's cool to see like the like the the spreading of superstitions and how they manifest when they are combined with the existing superstitions in places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have three more that are worth mentioning. Two are from Mexico. And then my fave comes last. Um, so for one of them, we are brought to Guadalajara in Mexico. And it tells the legend of the vampire's tree. So in the 18th century, Mexico was under Spain, Spain's rule. And there was this man called Jorge, and he had moved from Europe, um, and he bought a house there, and he was hoping to settle in, make some friends, you know, really vibe with the place, you know? But something just wasn't right, and no one liked Jorge. And soon after Jorge arrived, the townsfolk started noticing that the animals were dying. They were found to have had their blood drawn. And uh, one night, some of these townsfolk uh, decided to investigate. Um, and much to their surprise, what do you, what do you think they found? Holes? Mm, almost. They found Jorge. And what was Jorge doing, girl? Ew. Uh-huh. He was biting on the neck of an animal. Crazy man. Crazy girl. Crazy girl. <laughs> and so naturally, they were all shocked. So they started chasing Jorge. But he was fast as fuck, boy. And he got away. Oh. And they didn't know what to do. So they decided to do what really any logical townsfolk would do. And um, that was surround his house and uh, drive a stake through his heart. Yeah. Right. And um, as he's being stabbed, Jorge cried out that he would return one day and get his revenge. And he was buried in... El Pantheon de Belén, Belén. But something strange happened over his tomb. A tree began to grow, and the townspeople began to think that the day the tree grew too much and tore would be the day that Jorge comes back for his revenge. Oh. Mm-hmm. And a similar version to this, um they ended up placing a rock over his tomb to prevent him from escaping. And the rock caused a break and a branch started growing like through the cracks. And so the tree is still there in Guadalajara. Um, And it's like 15 meters. And you could, could um, take a photo 
with this tree, but you'd have to pay 250 pesos to do so. Yeah. Because what's a good level of lore and having the physical representation of it without getting some sort of monetization, you know? Yeah. Like paying to go into a cathedral. It's, stop. Dropping uh-uh. Everywhere. uh-uh. And so my second Mexican uh, vampiro comes from the Mexican Revolution, which we know so much about. Um, and the legend takes place during this revolution, as I said. And, uh, you know, naturally, unfortunately, it happens with war where there are a lot of dead bodies in the street. So as we know, the Mexican Revolution had many, many things um, occur within it that are very typical of war. Um, And so it it got a little bit graphic. Um, But but what was not normal was seeing, once again, bodies with two holes in their neck and their blood gone gone um and uh two generals right they asked their troops to investigate the nearby houses for anything sus and of course (sighs) one troop of soldiers they found a house with an insane amount of jars filled with blood delicious Mm. um and so they were then tasked because you know they had to get rewarded in some way um they were tasked with stalking the house Uh, (laughs) and just when they thought that no one was coming they heard very loud flapping and they watched this figure with wings go from a figure with wings to a man and walked into the house. Mm. And so the troops were ordered then to open fire. And, you know, they followed. And so the man fell, sprawled right in front of his door. And the soldiers approached to uh, ascertain what was going on with their target. And the target said there's more of us and they will come for all of you and so the soldiers were frozen in fear but the general walked right up to the man pointed his rifle at the man's heart and fired and though they had killed this man there were still bodies with holes in their necks coming up. And to this day, it's said that vampires remain in Mexico. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh. And now I come to my favorite. And I know that I said said that I went in kind of um, uh, in order. Of occurrence I lied apparently because I forgot in what order I went with this um so <laughs> that's fun love you sorry in order of, of riveting that's true 
<laughs> so I come to the bistaco, which is a, I think, Quechuan um, term for a Peruvian vampire, but this Peruvian vampire is very different. So the pistaco predating colonizers. Oh no, the conquistadors are involved. Oh, oh yes. This is why this is my favorite. <laughs> so 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 so. They, the pistaco, is a man-like monster from the Andes who is often described as a white man who kills indigenous people for nefarious cannibalistic purposes. Mm -hmm. And you may think, oh my God, they're totally draining their blood. No, they're not. They're draining the fat from the body. Oh, I promise that there's a reason why. Don't you worry. So they're stealing their fat and cutting them up and this is one version of it. They're making chicharrones. Essentially, the fried pork rinds. Yep. So that's one. And the second. Um, so I think we can all agree, for the most part, that at some point within our history lessons, we've heard that those that had excess fat were a sign of wealth, health, strength, beauty. Um, and illnesses were often associated with the loss of body fat or like skeletal thinness, um, which was not really viewed as beautiful. So this is, keep that in mind. Keep that in the back burner while I tell you about this. Uh, so, unfortunately, I, I really hate to mention this, but this is kind of metal. Um, the conquistadors would treat their wounds with fat of their enemies. So it is said that the Spaniards would also kill indigenous people and they would take their corpses, boil them to obtain the fat, so that they could grease their weapons, which would rust very quickly in the like Amazon forest. And so Bro, just go home. Bruh. So what just makes go, it yeah, you don't get I know. There. I know. And I'm not okay. It's not funny, but it's also Spanish missionaries that became known as Pistaco. Bye. I know. <laughs> And so it is believed that they were killing indigenous people for their fat. And this fat would not only go for greasing their weapons, it would also, why did this get funky? There we go. It was also believed that they would be making soap and candles out of this fat. Um, so again, I hate to admit it, but that's real metal. Um, I know. Blech. So then. The earliest known reference of the Pistaco uh, legend is from 17, uh, whoa, whoo, I had a, I 
flip those numbers. 1574. According to a priest named Cristobal de Molina. Okay, Cristobal. Mm -hmm. Indigenous people of this area, they were avoiding the Spaniards and refused to enter their homes in the belief that they would be killed specifically again for their fat. And so this legend became connected to the Bethlehemite friars who opened a hospital in the year 1700. These friars would travel, beg for alms, um, and typically, in addition to the Pistaco uh, being a conquistador, it could also be a friar. Also described as white. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. I know. That's going to be great for you to edit later. That that sound. That was beautiful. Remember we talked about explaining phenomena going on in your community? Mm-hmm. There we go. I hate it. I know. And then in 1621, Pablo José de Ari Arriaga wrote that according to the legend, the, uh, I couldn't find a pronunciation for this. I kept thinking that I was trying to spell caucus. And I was like, I know how to spell caucus. And I know what a caucus is. Calm down. Um, it's, I think, gauchos. Oh. Um, the gauchos was a blood-sucking creature who preyed on children. Gauch, what did I just say? Gauchos. Gaucho pants. Not, I mean, yes, but not. Gauch, <laughs> uh, gauchos would speak into people, sneak into people's homes, and put them to sleep using a powder made of human bones. They would scratch the victim with their fingernail and drink their blood from that wound. And the victims That's would a die. Long fingernail. I know. The victims would also die within a few days later. Mm -hmm. oh. And it was believed that this legend of the Cauchos merged with the legend of the Pistacos, creating this fat-draining vampire. Mm -hmm. um, I'm crying. So the, the set of notes that I got, um, and all my, my sources are linked in my notes. Um, so I, like I said, I have like six to seven maybe resources, so my bad. Um, Get her PhD. It says, in historical context, the indigenous people of the Andes were not wrong. Bloodthirsty, fat-stealing vampires is the perfect description for the Spaniards at the time. There were many opinions, and it's not wrong. Um, that's why my, my background is just very complex. Indeed. And so, essentially, the inhuman treat, the inhumane treatment of the natives and the horrors of the Spanish conquests created this legend. He looked like a creep coming up from the mirror. That was he so did. Um, <laughs> in that moment. Oh, and also, um, worth mentioning, uh, it is a historical fact that fact that human fat was used for medicinal and pra uh, practical purposes. Um, and 
you know, as we know, indigenous people were viewed as savages and dehumanized by so many um, European nations at that time that were discovering them. And so again, it's worth mentioning and worth uh, putting it out there. And then I come to my last thing, the cinematic vampire. So I learned this today, well, this weekend, that the first South American vampire movie was called El Vampiro Negro, which came out in 1953. Um, no. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, and it says here that the, that primarily in Argentina and Brazil, um, vampires would make like periodical um, appearances in movies. But this one, El Vampiro Negro, um, it was based on the true case of, um, now, I, you know, my German's not perfect. <laughs> how do you, how would you pronounce the U with the two dots on it? You. You. Okay. So it was based upon the true case of Peter Kirtin, who is known as the Vampire of Dusseldorf. Oh, no, um, not Dusseldorf. Uh, oh, Dusseldorf? Dusseldorf? No, you're, you're right. Dusseldorf. Ooh, or the Dusseldorf monster. And um, so Peter was very much a real human. In true crime history, I actually listened to my, you know, my my usual spooky, spooky true crime podcast. Um, they mentioned his story, and he committed a series of murders and um, essays between February and November of 1929 in the city of Dusseldorf. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was interesting, that that's what they chose to be the inspiration. That is European. (laughs) (laughs) The origins of the word. And also, while I was um, researching, a lot of times when they would mention vampires, they would also mention werewolves. So I thought that was also interesting. Um, because that made me think of what they do in the shadows, um, specifically the, what are we? Werewolves, not swearwolves, um, (laughs) as well as, uh, Twilight, so. Yeah, they're always pitted against each other as these night shapeshifters who threaten humanity. There's so much more, hold on. Going back to just the origins of that word. Um, kind of like goth. It's a little unclear. Mm-hmm. Weird that they're both in the same vein. Is he barking at himself at the mirror? So <laughs> our neighbor is is barking. Our neighbor is is barking, but that's what's going on. He's, he sits and stares in the mirror because he has a reflection all the time. Because he's a he's a handsome young lad. He is. But like, I literally just saw him staring at himself. 
So Wolfie was trying to explain the etymology is a little funky. And I mentioned before the word vampire doesn't appear in English till the 1700, 1732 in this like um, pamphlet about a story of some blood sucking person. Um, but it seems that it comes from French vampire or German vampire or Hungarian vampire or old church Slavonic. Let me guess. Let me guess. I don't know. Vampire? Vampire. And then Ukrainian and old Ottoman uper, um, which today in Turkish means witch. So again, there's like a supernatural. We have a supernatural quality to them. I mean. Um, yeah. I just wanted to mention that. Um, but I did, speaking of Ottoman, I did want to kick us back in history a little bit further real quick because you can see how like the European and South American kind of Catholic influenced um, versions of the Slavic myth are are these bloodsuckers who we're familiar with, but many cultures, and I'm sure a lot are lost to history at this, just kind of at this point, Mm -hmm. did have concepts of life sucking, kind of like your fat sucking beings, life sucking to sustain life type of, creatures um and they would do it you know at night or whatever um so i kind of lumped these together that i'm gonna run through pretty quickly go off were you gonna say something i'm sorry i just changed my screen it's okay it also reminded me of um whatchamacallit of mexican gothic loki Mm. um word because of like all the ritualistic things within it um especially when the forgot the family the doyles thank you the doyles i i was like it's something real english and it's not coming to me uh real irish though you're right but uh but yeah like what the doyles went through to become essentially immortal fact b yeah to sustain life you're intaking other forms of life Mm mm-hmm so this is a little different. This was before the age of like the scientific revolution and the age of reason and the enlightenment and then the spread of, I mean, Christianity period, because we're going back to 9,000 years ago, Jordan. Um, so we're in the Middle East in like the Levant period. So like the birthplace of mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of religions and stuff as we know it. Um, so the oldest indication that living people feared an unholy, unholy resurrection uh, might be found at this site. Um, some archaeologists suggest that uh, post-mortem mutilation was done um, mm-hmm. to prevent bodies from rising after they died. Um, so in this particular recent, ex- this dig was conducted, like, I think the city was found in 1999 or something by this Danish university. Uh-huh. Um, and they found that bodies were stored in pieces, like the bones were separated in houses. They were like interred in like, in like cabinets in houses. Okay. 9,000 years ago. So, like, why would you do that? And they're postulating that it was to keep them dead. Um, so that idea, 9,000 years ago. Stay dead, bitch. Like, what? I um, I love that that is such a contrasting idea to, like, I forget what what decade it is or what era, but when they were burying people and it was possible to be buried alive and they would have like the bell for you to ring oh in the event that you were actually alive like it's just a counter like like just a polar opposite of that that i find interesting 
so to speak. So no full skeletons um, and other evidence of like magical practices, basically. So again, we're in the superstition, witchcraft, wizardry, Hogwarts realm of. <laughs> um, so since we're in this part of the world, yep, Mesopotamians, they had them. Um, the Persians, of course, were one of the first civilizations thought to have tales of monsters. Mm-hmm. Creatures attempting to drink blood from men are, dis- are depicted on excavated pottery shards from pre-Ottoman, ancient Mesopotamia. Um, The Babylonians had tales of Lilitu, who is kind of the, we credit her with uh, the giving rise to Lilith in the Hebrew Bible. Um, And And Lilith Lilith in the Sims. I'm dead. And so is she, she's a demon. Um, So Lilith is a demon, often depicted as um, subsisting on the blood of babies. Hold and up. that's going to be a huge theme in this part of the world and also in some of the Pacific Islands when I was researching. There's a lot of female people or demons who suck the blood of babies. Oh! <gasps> Pause. Lilith? You know who Lilith is in the Bible? The first wife of Adam. Yeah! The demon... The, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, she, was, she was created as Adam was created. She wasn't torn from him. She was a mistake. I couldn't wait to get to this. <laughs> I told you, Old Testament tea. We have to read the Old Testament. I'm sorry. Not a great comic book. So good. So I mean, I I we can go into Lilith, but um, there's but wait, there's more. So um, a lot of the, a lot of this like ancient lost stuff um, reminded me kind of of the conversation we had in Mermaid about um, female witches of the sea. So I just wanted to make that connection. Um, Then there's a Babylonian goddess Lamash Tu and Galu. Uh, They are vampiric. There were. Again, they were terrifying, blood-sucking creatures who would prey on newborns and mothers. Um, they would snatch newborns from mothers and then eat the flesh. Uh, um, uh. So there's also a Hebrew word, aluka, sorry for butchering it, which translates to leech, and it also is synonymous with vampires. I thought that was interesting. Okay. Um, and I guess there are some stories about these shape changers into wolves! Ow! Yeah. Two wolfies um, bark right here. I know. You're never on time, bro. Um, so this particular creature can fly by releasing its long, luxurious hair. <gasps> and then would badass. die if it was prevented on feeding on blood for a long enough time. Oh, okay. Oh, so it had like um, a... It wasn't like an everyday feeder. It was just like a... Right. Almost like a bear. Oh my god, yeah. the Rapunzel of Vampires! The Rapunzel of Vampires. Oh my god, so cute. Um, I'm, We'll post this. I think this is interesting. I found this blog of the Vampire Project. Um, and there's this whole article. Sorry, it's a, an excerpt from the journals of this... I think he was a doctor, this French medicine man. Joseph Piton de Tunfold. Uh, oh, he was okay, a botanist France. and a, like a... Okay, he was a botanist, excuse me, and he was notable to make the first um, concept of genus for plants. But either which way, he went on a journey, and he happened to witness <gasps> an exorcism he ate, of he a vampire. Loved. 
Oh, Correct. So he played loved in the in the Ottoman Empire. So that, oh I'll God. link that blog post. That's fire from <laughs> blogs from yesteryear. And the last one I wanted to bring up was the succubus. Um, <laughs> so that's a seductive. It's a seductive night demon, very similar to a vampire because it's a female version of an incubus. So it's known as invading a man's bedroom at wait, night. Wait, wait. Steals his sperm. So I fat, was, sperm, and blood. I was literally going to look up incubus. More. Like, I don't necessarily know what incubus means. And I mean, when I looked it up. Whatever tomorrow brings. I'll be there. <laughs> yep oh my god oh, so, okay thank you go on the, in this account of the succubus i liked this line the effect of such an attack could vary from extreme pleasure to absolute terror but in either case it left the victim exhausted um the whole point of this intercourse was to like copulate without fighting i that was giving me insight into this culture that came up with succubus more than I want I care to even think about again. I mean, um, it also brings up like the the whole idea of vampires being like super seductive and like, <laughs> yeah, yep, precisement. So, um, uh, you looped in a lot of um, West African. Um, we're now moving down into the cradle of civilization excellent um lore as it translated it got kind of pulled into the caribbean um but essentially there were a lot of iron toothed demons or things that lived in trees so they were coming down from the sky Ooh. Um, that would hunt children so again kids were affected um some of them controlled the weather and some of them would in madagascar they were called the romanga um, it was an outlaw or a living vampire that would drink the blood and eat the nail clippings of nobles. Ickis. But why? The, why? What the nail also, you, what were you using to clip nails at that point? Probably its teeth. Other nails? Nail biting demon. A nail biting demon. Oh my god. Poor, poor thing. Um, um, and finally, um, this one I thought was not like others, but still kind of in this okay demonic, bloodthirsty. So in Sri Lanka, we're going now to Asia. Ooh. The belief of Ririyaka, the blood demon. Um, according to mythology, he, upon being born, he would tear his mother's breast off and emerge into the human world as a demon, and then there's bloodshed and blood consumption and demonizing it's giving um, antichrist it is <laughs> yeah. before there was christ there was just demon and oh okay oh this is what i was dying okay so remember i was saying there's obviously we've just listed off a whole bunch that are related to children being harmed or their blood being sucked so in the philippines yeah. there are two main creatures um so one of them is the mandurogo um, she takes the form of an attractive girl by day and then has wings and a long, hollow, thread-like tongue that she acts that acts like a proboscis at night to suck fetuses out of pregnant women. Um, they prefer to eat on entrails, heart and the liver, and the phlegm of sick people. So again, I don't know what like if these are yeah. traditional prior to like conquistador legends, and if they are very um 
it kind of tells me a lot about like d babies dying in, like stillborns and all that you know um trying to explain these phenomena but otherwise it's giving like women like hate punch. plague i like fruit punch sure okay and the other one is the menangal menangal i'm so sorry um, and it is an older, beautiful woman who can sever her upper torso to fly into huh. the night with huge bat-like wings and is gray on pregnant women again. Um, and she uses her tongue to suck up the blood from a sleeping victim. So part of me also wonders because, okay, coming back to, um, like, the... <laughs> ghosts and poltergeists and stuff like that usually the three people who are most sensitive to these kinds of things it's thought to be animals mm. kids and babies and women mm -hmm. and i are specifically pregnant women oh interesting because I think it's something with like the senses, like I, I don't know. For all I know, it's like chakra related. I don't fucking know. But <laughs> for some reason, these three are the ones that usually can see more like more supernatural entities, I guess. Um and yeah, I don't know. It's just I I yeah, like I, I find it so strange that they're always associating it with a baby or a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It's weird, but I like it. She's interesting. Um, okay. And I think like just the final thought is all of this. We got the blood sucking, the fat stealing, the baby stealing, mm -hmm. the Lilith and Vlad the Impaler. And somehow all of these come to, and then you had the myth, uh, we have a couple with oh. these creatures having wings and the bat. So how did the vampire bat kind of, why, why bat? Um, and I just, to sum up bats, um, in, I guess, like cultural anthropology, bats are considered something called liminal beings. Um, so they're like a creature that cultures like don't really understand they walk mm -hmm. according to especially older cultures before again before the age of reason before studying animals and kind of like their behaviors they were like walking between two planes like they hunt at night they're nocturnal they have their own systems they make no sense mm -hmm. um and we know them to be mammals and they're the only flying mammals which is they're also so putting cute, them in their own they're so places. freaking cute. they're blind predators huh, they're what they're blind predators, they're blind predators. um they were just weird furry bitches who took flight and old, you know old cultures were like what is that that's so creepy um and vampire bats in south america are pests pestilence they are a pestilence so uh, other mythical be liminal beings you could think of are centaurs sphinxes all these hybrids mm -hmm. they don't fit into one singular category of existence according yeah to these so neither do vampires so it makes a lot of sense to link the two together that's one theory <laughs> But I, I don't know. I, I think it's also associated with the fact that because they're primarily uh, nocturnal hunters, um, mm -hmm. whenever you see like a moving shadow, you're like, oh my God, what was that? And so 
you know, it kind of adds to that, like, scare factor, I guess, too. Um, that added, like, lore and misunderstood factor to it. Um, and also, like, imagine, imagine you have just found a bat and all you see are the wings and, like, how, like, see-through, right? Because they're usually, like, pretty see-through their wingspan and, like, you yeah. see, like, their veins and, like, their bones and they're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I mean, anyone who was gonna, like, dissect a dead bat and, like, had a familiar knowledge to humans would see a lot of similar bones, just different sizes, because we are all mammals, which is also freaky. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't... Oh, excuse me! But, all that to say, um, this book was like a first gothic vampire novel. It's the, it's it's Louis telling his story of how he became a vampire and his vampire quests and a lot of tropes that we are familiar with today are like kind of like cemented in there and also mm-hmm. she combats some like the whole um afraid of sunlight or whatever. I don't remember. I already blocked it. Well, but... death via sunlight. <laughs> death via sunlight. Um and some other things um within the story Louis says, like, they are also stereotypes. So, gives I'm, more, like, allure. I'm really trying to power through this damn book. To the misunderstood vampire. I'm 100% going to watch the movie. Sorry. <laughs> to help get through the plot. Like, okay, okay. This could stay in or not. I really don't care. But based off of, like, reading it, I feel like this would work I think part of what's turning me off is like how or what turned me off to like actually reading the book versus listening to the audio is the long part one and not having like clear divisions in it. So it just feels like I've been in chapter one for so long and I feel like I'm gaining nothing from yeah being still in chapter one. Yeah, and I normally like first-person perspective, but not here. There's, like, I, the world-building is, is there, but it's, like, I, I don't know. My my belief has not been suspended. Disbelief has not been suspended. Yeah, like, it's very it's hard. Bored. Yeah, like, I could see this being better in, like, almost, like, little vignettes um, of, yeah. like, that it's just, like, okay, we're here for, like, day two of the interview, you know? And, like, having it released as, like, little vignettes or, like, um, short stories even in, like, a magazine or, uh, in, or like, a, in a newspaper or something. Oh, my God. Like, Evelyn Hugo was literally half a book of interviews. Yeah, and but. somehow that story. <laughs> oh, it was way more captivating. Anyway. Um, That's for next time. Yeah, sorry. But, but now you know we hate it. Uh <laughs> happens it happens it does um but if you want to schedule a viewing party let me know let's do that let me know if anyone wants to watch it while we watch it we can do a live chat or something oh my god that'd be cute yeah we don't have a discord i'm crying we're not having a discord no that that's too much but (laughs) um thank you for stopping by thank you for listening to the vampire lore for this 
per episode. Um, also, Keith got a really good laugh when I said prepisode, and he was like, <laughs> "I said I can't take credit for that. That was all. That was all Christina." <laughs> Preparation H. Yep. Woo. Um, and as always, you can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Insta, um, TikTok. I need to get back on that because I've been terrible. It's going to be fine. Um, And we post our episodes uh, twice in a month. Yeah, okay. I'll say it like that. Twice in a month. And it's always posting on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and somewhere else that maybe you haven't told us of yet. And I hope that you tell us. because that would I be super a, helpful. Oh, Castbox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Ooh. and Radio Public. Look at us expanding. Expanding. Ah. But as always, thank you so much. Um, and uh, we'll catch you on all the socials and uh, next week. Or thanks for tuning in. And do let us know if you're enjoying this read with us. Because we're struggling. (laughs) Happy October! Woo! Bye! Bye!